This week, we continue to read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. The word of the Lord. Well, we are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest and most uh, uh, involved and elaborate teaching of Jesus in the Bible. It's the most famous teaching of Jesus probably in the Bible. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is all about what does a transformed life look like and what would the world look like as a result? Now, the problem is this passage we just read, I mean, if you were all in the room here, I would be tempted to pull you, uh, you know, raise your hand if, if you feel like this passage about not swearing oaths, if that, if that feels relevant to you, I'm guessing no one, uh, your hands would not go up, especially since Jesus begins this vision of a transformed life by talking about things that really do feel incredibly relevant for us. I mean, two weeks ago, we saw him talking about anger and violence. Last week, he was talking about sexuality and marriage, but this week he's talking about not swearing oaths. It just feels so trivial. But here's the question. Do we really think that after talking about violence and then sex, that Jesus would start talking about something trivial? I mean, you know, especially when next week we're going to see him talking about revenge, and then the week after that about loving your enemy. There's nothing trivial about those things. Those are some of the most weighty things in our life. So do we really think that Jesus is so out of touch that right in the middle of talking about all of these incredibly weighty things, he would start talking about something silly and meaningless? No. Jesus is master of the human condition and the human heart. There's something going on in this passage that touches on the deepest places in our hearts and in our lives. What is it? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you want to live in a world where people are true? A world where you never had to question people's motivations? A place where you never had to doubt um, people's sincerity or their intentions? A world where, where, where people said one thing and always did exactly the same thing? We all want to live in that world. The problem is that world has never existed in this world. In fact, levels of social trust have rarely been lower than they are today. And we saw a very vivid example of that last week in the Capitol riot. One of the most disturbing things about that is how many professing Christians were involved in that. 
There were, uh, the crowd was full of crosses and signs that says Jesus saves. And in fact, one man even carried a Christian flag right into the middle of the legislative chamber. There were people who professed allegiance to Jesus with their mouths, but with their lives they were professing allegiance to something completely different. How can people proclaim allegiance to one thing with their mouths and and then with their lives proclaim allegiance to something completely different? And maybe even more importantly, what kind of world results, what kind of distrust, breakdown, and fragmentation results from that? That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage We all want to live in a world where people are true. Jesus is calling us to take our place in a world, it's called the kingdom of heaven, where people are always true. We all long for a world like that. Jesus is saying that world is possible, but how? Let's find out by asking three questions this week. What is Jesus talking about? Why is it a problem? And what is the solution? What is Jesus talking about? Why is it a problem? And what's the solution? All right, first, what is Jesus talking about? Um, In this passage, Jesus says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Now, why? Well, in order to get at this, let's just ask the question, why do we swear oaths? Why are oaths even, even necessary in the first place? Because we lie (laughs) all the time. Jesus is simply inviting us to imagine a world in which oaths are completely unnecessary because people are always completely true. And then to start living as if we're already actually dwelling in that world. That's the basic idea here. But it gets even deeper when we understand more about the background details of what Jesus is talking about. So in the Ten Commandments, which Jesus is really referencing quite a bit here, uh, in the Ten Commandments, one of them says, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Basically, that means don't use God's name inappropriately. Uh, Another commandment says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That basically means don't lie. Now, in the ancient world, Oaths and vows were a regular part of people's lives. And whenever you swore by something, um, whenever you swore an oath, you always swore by something. Now, the law said that the the closer whatever you swore by was to the name of God, then the more serious it was if you broke your oath. So people developed a very elaborate system for getting around that in order to evade the consequences of lying. So for instance, the temple in Jerusalem was considered to be the place where the name of God dwelled. So if you swore by the temple and then broke that oath, that was considered more serious than if you um, swore by something that was considered farther away from God. You actually get a very good example of uh, this system in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus is calling out the religious leaders. and He says, you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. Or you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. He says, blind fools, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. Friends, here's what Jesus is saying. 
We're constantly in the presence of God. We live our whole lives standing in God's presence. And the more you realize that, the more you become aware of that, the more it changes the way you live because personal presence changes everything. So for instance, have you ever noticed how your attitude towards other people changes as soon as you get behind the wheel of a car? People will do and say things to each other when driving that they would never do and say face-to-face. Or, uh, you know, if you're one of those brave souls that reads the comments sections in controversial articles, have you ever noticed how horribly people treat each other? They go on a diatribe. Or on social media, have you ever noticed how people will say things to each other that they would never say in person? Why is that? It's because personal presence changes everything. I read an article a few years ago by a man who was the superintendent of the Oregon State Penitentiary back in the 1990s. Now, when he first arrived there on the job, at that point in their history, uh, the penitentiary, Oregon had not executed anyone in over 50 years. But while this man was there, uh, he actually had to supervise the execution of not one, but two men. Now, when he first arrived on the job, he was a firm supporter of the death penalty. But after those two executions, that changed. He no longer supported it. Why? Well, he actually gives a number of reasons. But at two points in the article, he he makes a point of saying that he was looking them in the eye. So during one of the executions, he says how the wrist straps on, on the man's wrist were hurting him, and he asked them to adjust the wrist straps. And when they made the adjustments, he says the condemned man looked him in the eye and said, thanks, boss. It obviously had a huge impact on him because he mentions it two times in the article, both times using the same language of looking him in the eye. You see, he could feel one way about the death penalty as long as they weren't in the room. But as soon as they came into the room, everything changed. Friends, Jesus is saying God is always in the room. Personal presence changes everything. We live our whole lives in the presence of God. So when we lie, it's not only that we're not being true with our words, it's that we're not being true to God. It's not only that we're just failing to be factually accurate, we're not being relationally faithful, we're not being trustworthy. It's not just an intellectual thing, it's a relational thing. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's reminding us that we live our whole lives in the presence of God and that being true with our words is a way of being true to God. That's what he's talking about, and that leads to our second point. We've seen what is Jesus talking about, but secondly, why is it a problem? Because notice Jesus says um, at the beginning of the passage, he says, all you, actually it's at the end, he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Now, in other words, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, have you ever noticed how you can say one thing over here, but then you might see something completely different over there? Why is that? Or he's saying, have you ever noticed how you could say you believe in one thing, but then you end up doing or living some, some way that's completely different from that? Why do we do that? It's because we don't have integrity. Now, integrity comes from the word integer. Do you know what integer means? Integer means one. Having integrity means that you're one person. You're the same person in every area of your life. 
Having integrity means that you're always the same person no matter where you are. It means that all of the different parts of your life are integrated. They're integered. You're one. That means that not having integrity means you're disintegrated. You're disintegered. You're fractured. You're fragmented. You're, you're broken into different parts. And the reason is because um, something other than God has the real allegiance of our hearts. The oaths play into this because oaths are ways of controlling and manipulating people. Jesus is saying that, that we will use our words and our language as ways of getting and preserving power to protect whatever has the real allegiance of our hearts. And when you understand that, you understand that we see this in all kinds of different places in our society. So, for instance, politics. I just mentioned the Capitol riot a bit ago. Can we talk about that? Is that okay? I think we really need to talk about this. One of the most disturbing and really infuriating things about this is how many professing Christians were involved in this. To, to claim allegiance to Jesus with your mouth, but then to, to give the ultimate allegiance of your life to your nation or to your cultural or ethnic tribe, that's a fractured self. There's no integrity. And, and what makes this particularly dangerous is that this nationalist idolatry has been embedded deeply in the historical narrative and psyche of our country. So for throughout the history of our country, white Protestant Christians have been the ones that have most of the cultural and political power. And what we're seeing is that as that's changing, people are desperately trying to hold on to that cultural and political power. The problem is that cultural and political power has been used to oppress and marginalize people of color and other minorities. And if we're Christians, we should be repenting of that and renouncing that. So Here's the thing, though. Here's the other side of this. Um, yes, Christian nationalism is a cancer in our society, but it's also a symptom of a much larger, much deeper political idolatry at work in our world. And I wouldn't be being true to you if we didn't name that and talk about it. Now, please understand something. Uh, following Jesus is always going to translate into our political and social lives. I mean, the vision of our church is to see a city made new by the gospel, spiritually, socially, and culturally. If we're following Jesus faithfully, it's going to mean getting sent out into the world to care and to advocate for the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized in our world. Following Jesus will always have political and social implications for our lives. The problem is when political power replaces Jesus— or even worse, when it co-opts Jesus for political purposes. Now, part of living in our modern world means living in a world that functionally denies the presence of God. It says God isn't in the room and, and says that all of our ultimate aims and goals are really focused on political action, political purposes in this world. In other words, human power is the only power that we need to change the world and make it a better place. So, for instance, Jacques Ellul was a French sociologist and theologian. He wrote a lot about the impact of technology and politics in our world. In one of his books, he was observing contemporary culture, and he says this, everything is political. 
politics is the only serious activity. Now, he's not saying this is the way it should be. He's saying this is the way it is in our world. He says, the fate of humanity depends on politics and classic philosophical or religious truth takes on meaning only as it is incarnated in political action. Christians are typical in this connection. They rush to the defense of political religion and assert that Christianity is meaningful only in terms of political commitment. Now, Jacques Ellul was a Christian, but do you hear what he's saying? He's saying to live in this world means you can believe in God. You might even call yourself a Christian or religious or spiritual, but, but the thing that really drives you is politics. That's where your real commitment lies. And that commitment ends up getting expressed or coded in religious language. So if we look once again at the Capitol riot last week, you see there were all kinds of signs and banners there that were coding their political commitments in religious language. There were signs that said God, guns, and Trump. Other signs said Jesus 2020. There were other signs that said Jesus is my savior, Trump is my president. Friends, the idolatry at work here is heartbreaking. But do you see what's going on? Jesus calls it swearing by heaven. It's using religious language to cloak our real commitments. We're saying that, that with our mouth that we have this commitment over here, but with our language, with our lives, we're signaling what our real commitment is. It's a way of using words as a way of influencing, persuading, controlling, coercing, and manipulating other people. And when you understand that, you realize it's not just politics, is it? This shows up everywhere in our lives and in our society. So for instance, on social media, how often do we portray an image, a specific image or persona to the world around us on social media, but in reality, our lives are completely different? Or think about your interpersonal relationships. I would encourage you this week, um, do an audit of your words this week. In other words, think about how many times this week do you use words or language as a way to manage how other people perceive you or to protect something that functionally has replaced God in your heart or as a way of manipulating subtly or not so subtly manipulating people to do what you want them to do. I mean, friends, here's what all of this comes down to. At the end of the day, this is what this means. If we're not being true with people, we're not being true to people or to God. If we're not being true with people, we're not being true to people or to God. We're not being faithful. We're not being trustworthy. It destroys the integrity of our lives. It destroys the integrity of our relationships. It destroys the integrity of our whole society. Do you see how big a problem this is? And are you ready for a little hope? <laughs> this leads to our last point. We've seen what is Jesus talking about? We've just seen why is it a problem. But lastly, what is the solution? What's the solution? Well, here's the solution. Jesus says, you have heard it said that to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Do you notice this word fulfill? In the original language, that word literally means to pay back or to reimburse. It, it means to pay the cost for something. Jesus is saying being true will cost you. That's what he's saying here. So for instance, um, I'm the kind of person that uh, to me, I tend to care very deeply about what other people think about me. 
In fact, to be honest, uh, far too often I care too deeply about what other people think about me. Worshiping the approval of other people is one of the main threats to my own personal integrity. And the reason is because if being true, if being honest is going to make me look bad, then I am tempted not to be honest. In fact, one of the ways, personally, I know when I'm being really vulnerable and honest is I will actually sometimes start shaking physically. Being true costs you. Uh, Now, maybe for you it's something different. Maybe it's uh, not approval, but power or control or comfort or security. But being true costs you because it always means sacrificing the real idols of your heart. Um, We can also take this to the social level. So I just mentioned the fact that um, throughout the history of our country, white Protestant Christians have, have tended to have most of the cultural and political power in our culture. And that has been at the cost of uh, people of color and other minorities in our culture. Now, I understand that's a controversial statement. Most people will still acknowledge that there are massive disparities between white people and people of color uh, in our world. That, that's in our country, that is. That's not um, incredibly controversial. What is controversial is uh, when people start discussing the reasons those disparities still exist. That is hotly debated in our culture. But here's the point. Even being willing to explore the question, even being willing to search for the truth would cost us. And even more, if there really are still systemic factors at work, in addition to individual factors, and I believe that's the case, then telling the truth about that would cost us even more. It would cost us even more. In other words, being true will cost us. Every time in our society, that that's the cost of being true in our society. So friends, here's the big question. How are we actually going to do this? How are we going to live like this? Because Jesus, remember, Jesus is reminding us that the the only way that we can live in a world where people, where oaths are unnecessary is if we're living in a world where people are always true with one another. He's inviting us to imagine a world where oaths are unnecessary because people are always true. That's what he's reminding us. The, The question is, or the real problem is that just obeying the rules can't bring about a world like that. Just obeying the rules, just changing our behavior will never really bring about a world like that. What really needs to happen is for our hearts to change. Friends, that is the difference between the gospel and every other religion. Traditional religion is all about saying, here's how you must live. Here are the rules you must obey. If you obey the rules, then God will love you. Traditional religion is all about behavior modification, but the gospel is all about heart transformation. What in the world could possibly have enough power to get into the deepest motivational structures of your heart and change you at that level? Only one thing. There's only one being, one person in the history of the world who always had perfect integrity. Jesus Christ is the only person in the history of the world whose inner life always perfectly matched his outer life. Jesus Christ was always true with his words because he was always true to God, to himself, and to others with his life. Jesus was always whole. He was one. He was integrated. But on the cross, being true cost Jesus because on the cross, Jesus was disintegrated. 
I, this always reminds me of the way that Lord Voldemort dies at the very end of the last Harry Potter movie. If you remember, Voldemort had divided his soul into different parts. He wasn't whole. He wasn't one. And so at the very end of the movie, when Harry Potter disarms him, do you remember how Voldemort dies? It begins by little pieces of his head starting to float away into the air. And then his face starts to come apart. And as he looks up with agony and despair and horror in his eyes, his whole body disintegrates into a million little pieces dissolving into the air. He literally blows up. Voldemort was paying the cost for his lack of integrity. But on the cross, Jesus paid the cost for our lack of integrity. The only one who was always perfectly one got blown up for us. And when you think about it, you realize that whenever we lie, whenever we're not faithful with our words, it's not just intellectual error, it's relational betrayal. We're not being true to God we're not being true to others. We're not being true with our lives. That's what's going on. But on the cross, Jesus Christ paid the cost for our lack of truth, our lack of integrity. Jesus was blown up. He was disintegrated in order to make us whole. Jesus paid the cost on the cross for our lack of truth, our lack of integrity. And the more that soaks into your heart, the more that transforms your life. The more you see Jesus on the cross, um, blown up for you, disintegrated for you, paying the cost for, for your lack of truth and integrity, the more that transforms you into somebody who can be true to God, true to yourself, and true to others because Jesus was true to you on the cross. Friends, you can be true to God. You can be true to others because Jesus was true to you. Let's pray. Abba, we praise you this morning for the truth of your word. And Lord, we praise you especially that your word isn't only factually true, but your word is relationally true because Jesus Christ is the word made flesh, the truth made flesh. Lord, we thank you that our Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we pray this morning that you would help us more um, fully to embrace the reality of everything that Jesus did for us on the cross how Jesus was true to us on the cross in order to pay for the cost of us failing to be true to you with our lives. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to embrace that more and more, that the more we see Jesus being true to us on the cross, the more we would be true to you and to others with our lives, and that that would help us to tell the truth that needs to be told, not just in our lives, not just in our relationships, but in our society, that all things may be brought back together and made one as you intended them. Father, for we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.